0: Let us now turn to the letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. When you have found it, please rise for the reading of God's holy word. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit my friends this is the holy inerrant infallible word of the Lord please be seated I have the privilege and honor of introducing to you a fellow brother, a minister of the faith. Uh, He does many things. He has many hats that he wears. But I think one thing that I have truly been blessed by is someone that also understands that behind the pulpit, one must also have much fear. There needs to be fear in whomever would stand behind the pulpit, but also at the same time understand it is a great privilege that the Lord gives to the ministers, to share his word to his people. And so this past weekend, our brother, Pastor Virgil Walker, has shared multiple messages with the men of our church. And I thought maybe we could take this time to listen to him preach the word this Sunday. And I wanted our entire church to be blessed by what he has to share from the word of God. So as we listen and as we welcome him, let's pray that our hearts would be attentive And will be soft so that the word of God may be planted and that it may grow to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times for the glory of God. So let's welcome Pastor Virgil Walker.
1: Well, I bring you greetings this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a joy to be uh, with you this morning, and before we jump directly into the word, I would ask that you just uh, indulge me for just uh, a moment while I I just give you give thanks to uh, the men of God here at at, at the church. Um, the church gathered and scattered. Um, love the name of the church. I know you all, I've heard it said uh, uh, CGS is kind of y'all's, uh, the way that you, you kind of uh, say it, but man, it's, it's been a pleasure to be with you, uh, to experience um, just the koinonia fellowship, uh, the, the, the warmth of the men here, uh, from the time I was picked up at the airport by uh, Brother Brian to uh, being here and uh, brother sam and and podcasts and uh, all the different things, it's been a tremendous, tremendous blessing for me. I want to p- personally thank in front of all of you, uh, Pastor Eugene. Thank you so much, sir, for uh, your graciousness. I'm grateful I, I just want to say this briefly that um, you need to know that your pastor didn't just find someone who he thought was popular and put him on a platform to speak. Uh, he vetted uh, me very well. Uh, he wanted to know uh, where I had preached and, and, and what I had preached. And he wanted to know if I were, was ordained and there was, a, there was a process by which. And so what that said to me was that he he had care for the, the people of God that were here in this place and space. And so when I see those kinds of actions, I have tremendous respect, as he mentioned, uh, for the opportunity to speak, but also the men before whom I'm speaking, men and women before whom uh, I'm speaking. Thanks to Pastor Paul, and he just a servant's heart. You all know this about him. Uh, there, every every moment I was somewhere in the hallway or, or somewhere, stopping somewhere, he was you know, quick to just ask what my needs were or uh, if, if I was doing okay. In fact, he's, he's kind of carved out his, his office, let me stay in there, and then he went somewhere, and I never saw him again until just moments ago. <laughs> but again, I could go on and on and on with the thank yous, but I just want you to know that you, you have a you have a wonderful body of believers here, a tremendous Fellowship here, and it is a joy and, and my honor to be uh, with you. Uh, I want to I want to thank all all the men on staff, the elders, and such who are who are part of uh, of, of the of the church here. I, I'm also uh, grateful to the men that I got a chance to meet this weekend, man. we had a phenomenal phenomenal time in the Lord. I bring you greetings from my wife, uh, Tamika Walker. She is probably at worship right now, at Lord's Day worship there at our church, at Praise Mill Baptist Church uh, in Douglasville, Georgia. Um, I bring you greetings from our adult, I have to say adult children. I've always said children, but I have to say our adult children. Uh, My my daughter, Princess, uh, my son, Princeton, and our youngest son, Price. Uh, I'm also here uh, representing the ministry of G3. G3 Ministries uh, uh, stands for Gospel, Grace, and Glory, where I serve as uh, vice president of ministry relations. Uh, I think many of you know me from the Just Thinking podcast, uh, if you've listened to the podcast, you know it's a podcast that Daryl Harrison and I do together, and uh, it is a joy. I think all of those all of those lines have brought me uh, here. That said, let's dive into the Word of God. Pastors already read Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 22, and as your pastor uh, did such a fantastic job last week of walking you through the book of Genesis, I, I want to say he might have taken a verse uh, a little bit more, uh, but not much more than that. So as, as he's an expositor, I I too enjoy expository preaching. You know I will not be able to exposit 11 11 verses in a a detailed way, but we'll do a cursory overview of this and really uh, drive home some of the key points uh, from this portion of the message. That said, let's begin. Theologians throughout church history have found the letter to the church at Ephesus to be incredibly noteworthy. It was Martin Luther who characterized it as, as, as this. When he, when he thought about the letter, he characterized it in this way. He said, it is one of the, um, among the most noblest of books in the New Testament. Today, men like John MacArthur and others have established their early days in ministry by walking through this book. Establishing the, the ministry of their church by walking the members verse by verse Through this important book. This epistle to the church at Ephesus is actually one of my favorite Pauline epistles. There are numerous reasons that every follower of Christ should enjoy this particular book of Ephesians. The letter begins with a concise description of God's cosmic plan of salvation for all of humanity. It also is one that explores the, the, the majesty, the beauty, the vastness of God's sovereign plan of redemption. Nothing more clearly describes this than what we see in the very first chapter. While I know you're, you're there at, at chapter two, verse one, allow me, if you will, just by way of, of context to work our way to this point in the text of scripture. Every Christian, again, should meditate on the first full chapter of Ephesians on a regular basis. I think it's a helpful reminder for us to understand what God has done. I believe our conscious minds should be overwhelmed by the realization that God, in his sovereignty, had a plan of salvation before he ordered the very creation Of the universe. Consider the first chapter. It goes on to explain the the triune nature of our salvation. God's decision to redeem his people was not a a novel idea, it was not a, a, a last minute idea. Consider the fact that the, that the nature of salvation was, was triune. We often, when we think about salvation, we think about it from the aspect of the finished work of Christ and what Christ did on the cross. But Paul explains in this letter that, that salvation was a plan of God the Father in eternity past. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. That salvation is a work of the Son, Jesus Christ, redeeming man in time, Ephesians chapter one, verses seven through 12. And that salvation is accomplished with the sealing of God, the Holy Spirit, confirming our future reward, Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 and 14. As we consider these things, Paul then begins in Ephesians chapter two by outlining man's condition, man's situation in time. Considered what we thought about in chapter 1 as we turn the page to chapter 2, Paul lifts the curtain on God's cosmic plan only to move on to the scene of the human condition and our need for that redemption in time. Chapter 2 verse 1 reads this way, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the Prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and minds, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul writes this in chapter two, that our separateness, our separation from God should be obvious from the start. Paul declares unequivocally that we are dead in our sins. In fact, in, in chapter 2, verse 3, Paul reveals that we are like the rest of mankind, our children of God's wrath. Instead of condemning all of humanity for the death that we rightly deserve for our sins against a holy God. Verse 4 says this, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This immense love is far more than a warm sensation running down God's proverbial spine. This love demonstrated by God the Father in the sending of his son and is offered to us by grace through faith, not of our own efforts, but as a gift from God. This gift restores us in right relationship with God the Father. Now with this context in mind, I want us to, to go back to where the, the, the scripture reading began in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, where Paul begins with the transitional word, "Therefore, therefore." Now that you know all of what we walked through, the the cosmic plan of of God from eternity past and what God the Father intended in eternity, what what Christ the Son did in time and what, what the Holy Spirit seals for our future reward, now that you know the condition that you were in as a result of your sinfulness against this holy God, the right wrath that was owed to you by that God, and you understand that you've been saved, by grace, through faith in Christ, and not of your own works. That transitional word is, is is written there. Therefore, remember, the text says that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by by uh, called the uncircumcision which is made by in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. As we walk into the text, there's some of you who are note takers who kind of like to write things down and know exactly kind of where we're going. So let me provide for you some headings, some key things for you to write down, and we'll fill in those spaces and places. We want to look at verse 11 and and remember, I want you to remember, or Paul wants us to remember, who you were in verse 11. Remember who you were. In verse 12, he wants you to remember where you were. Where you were. Now, this is more than just location. This is about our our distance, our separateness from God. And finally, in verse 13 and 14, he wants you to rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in what God has done. As we walk through these headings, we'll we'll fill out the the the, the bulk of what the scriptures is, is saying there. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll make reference to a number of different uh, verses of scripture, and in your notes you write those down and have the opportunity at your leisure to go back and review for your own personal study. My prayer is that you'll be deeply edified as a result. Remember who you were. Verse 11. Why does Paul want us to remember who we were? Well, the reality is we live in a very narcissistic and self-absorbed world, a self-absorbed culture. And while things look different and the tools by which we use to indulge our narcissism are different today than they were in Paul's day, the heart of the human condition has not changed. We live in a world today of social media and, and, and we take selfies We understand all too well what is meant to to, to present ourselves as as something better than we are, more likable than who we are. If you're like me, you're involved in social media. Don't raise your hand. Just kind of nod at me a little bit if you know about spending a little bit too much time on social media. We take, we take selfies, images of ourselves, and now on the, on, on the apps that we utilize, there are all these, these, these uh, filters that you can use to kind of make yourself look better. There's even little angles. AI now comes in and desi- redesigns, restructures your face, and so you look like something that you really aren't in real life. And I know none of the ladies here know anything about what I'm talking about. I recognize that. While people in Paul's day didn't have the benefit, or I probably should say the curse of social media, the human condition was no different. Without the mirror of God's word to remind ourselves, without fellow believers, the, the fellowship of the saints to remind ourselves of our natural proclivities, we have a tendency to, to place judgment on others that we would not provide for our own lives. Well, if, We do what Paul is suggesting here and remember, if you remember who you were, you'll be able to completely appreciate what God has done in in ransoming you and redeeming you and returning you to a position that you do not deserve. He's done this solely on the basis of his goodness, his grace, not because we were so wonderful or so lovely or so awe-inspiring, we look at the world in which we live. Very few individuals can deny the, 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 the total depravity of the human condition out there. What we often fail to do is look at the, the depraved issues, the depraved challenges of our own heart. I'm so appreciative that, that when we gather together, we have a, a time of, of repentance. We're actually practicing what Paul is suggesting here. Remember who you were. Remember what God has done. That weekly reminder keeps us in a path of humility that is necessary for us as believers. Paul encourages this kind of self-reflection. The intent there is to accomplish the the very thing that we need in our narcissistic, self-absorbed world, which is great humility. Humility. Paul is continually reminding us who we are and who we were as sinners so that we don't sacrifice the joy that we have in the forgiveness of sins. We should have great joy every time we gather, even in our remembering of who we were, because why? Jesus has ransomed us, has redeemed us, and the great love and joy should fill our great love and joy should fill our hearts as a result. Remember who you were. Remember who you were. Looking again at Ephesians chapter two, verse 11, Paul says, remember that you Gentiles in the flesh known as the uncircumcision by what is known as the circumcision, which is produced in the flesh by hands. Now being known as the uncircumcision by the people of Israel was more than just an insult. We know historically Abraham was circumcised as a sign of, of the covenant of God's people, Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. This was an external manifestation of, God, of one's devotion to God. Some of the Israelites, or those who were part of the, the, the nation of Israel, took the covenant so seriously that they mistook circumcision for salvation. Now, I won't go into great detail here, but, but when, when you think about how David used the word uncircumcised Philistine, it was a pejorative. It was more than just words, right? David says in 1 Samuel 17, 26, he said to the men who stood by him, they were out on the battlefield, what shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What David was was dealing with here was more than just, again, a, a pejorative, more than just a, a, a word aimed to provide hurt. It was the idea, the idea that's being portrayed here as one who is unclean and, and polluted and carnal. More significantly, more significantly, one who is outside of God's covenant. David expresses his contempt for someone who is not a member of God's covenant people, and he does so in the most explicit terms. So once again, the concept being conveyed is more than just name calling. That is to say, this is an individual who has no relationship with God. Paul then wants us to be reminded again in verse 12 of where you were, where you were. This once again goes beyond the concept of location. It's all about our position, our separateness from God. Look at it again, Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul wishes to remind the Christians in Ephesus, particularly Gentile Christians, that they were formerly far off from Christ. At the beginning of this verse, you have the first portion separated from Christ. And then at the end, you have having no hope without God in the world. Those those two ideas are kind of bookends. You were separated from Christ and then having no hope and without God in the world. In the center of the verse, you have alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and become foreigners to the covenants of promise. You have those, those things happening. Allow me to divide those two ideas. First of all, our isolation from God. Our isolation from God, separated from Christ. This is significant, because Christ is integral to everything. When you comprehend who Christ is, the, the, the separation, the gravity of this separation comes into great focus. Let's consider the enormity of our separation by reviewing first who Christ is. Who is Christ? And why would separation from him be so grave, be so dire? Well, if you understand who he is, that picture becomes ever more clear in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Colossians chapter one verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. As if that weren't enough, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him, that in him or in everything, he might be rather preeminent. Ephesians chapter one, verse 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Familiar passage of scripture, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. This is Christ, the preeminent one, the prophesied Messiah, the greater prophet, the lamb of God. This is Christ, the one who takes away the sins of the world. This is Christ. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. This is Christ the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Apart from him, no light dawns. Apart from him, nothing holds together. Apart from him, the whole known universe collapses upon itself and folds back into the nothingness that it was before he uttered, let there be light. Therefore, our separation from Christ is the most dire situation we could ever comprehend. Scripture says that we were once separated from Christ. The second part, which is inevitable, we have separated from Christ, having no hope without God in the world. In the center of that is a very important thing that Paul writes there. He says that we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. So we were separated from Christ, having no hope without God in the world, and in addition, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. This concept is rather interesting. In in light of the context of the scripture, let's review it, and then I want to look at our situation as a result. Our separateness from God inevitably articulates, inevitably shows, inevitably expresses, explains that we would be separated from God's people. This separateness can be no more evidence than in the way that Jews and Gentiles worshipped. While there were few God-fearing Gentiles, overall the vast majority of the Gentiles were engaged in some form of pagan idolatrous worship. Amplify this idea that even, uh, that even in, the worship, in worship in verse 14, Paul speaks to this. He does so in part in this way. In the temple, as we look at the temple, we'll look at that just momentarily. In the temple worship, you had Jews and Gentiles. And there was literally a wall of separation dividing the two. It prevented Gentiles from coming near in fellowshipping with the Jews particularly in worship of the God of Israel. You had the temple courts of separation. These courts were constructed in this way. You had the court of the priests, which were only male members of the tribe of Levi Levi were permitted. You had the court of Israel, where only male Jews were permitted. You had the court of women. Any Jew could enter, but, but a woman was there, could go no further than that particular point. Now, five steps down from the level of the Jewish courtyards was a five foot high stone barrier that extended around the temple enclosure. Then another 14 steps down to a level known as the courtyard for the Gentiles. According to Jewish historian Josephus, the the dividing wall of Jews and Gentiles was marked at intervals by a stone inscription stating that no foreigner was permitted to enter the Jewish enclosure upon penalty of death. The statement reads as follows, no foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Again, there could be no more dire situation or sadder state in the final section that we read there. When we think about the body of believers that we encounter here on the Lord's day, our our separateness would be even from one another were we not in Christ. More about that in a moment. As we look at verses 13 and 14, Paul wants us to finally rejoice in what God has done. Look at verse 13, if you will. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. As we look at verse 13, there there are two words that begin that, that, uh, that, that very verse of Scripture. But now, but now. Prior to this, our our condition was tragic. We were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. We were strangers and aliens and foreigners. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. If you remember from earlier, this is but a reflection of what Paul writes in verse four. Go back. if, If you're looking at the text, go back up to chapter two, verse four, just for a moment. This verse is but an echo of that. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Here in verse 13, go back down, you'll see, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. These verses are but an echo of the other at the most dire situation in the most dire condition that you were in. God steps in with grace and mercy. Christ steps in to redeem, to ransom. At the outset, I mentioned earlier that this, the gospel is not new. The, the plan of your redemption and salvation was not a new idea. This has been a promise from God since the beginning. Scripture is clear about this. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. For, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 13, where we are in Ephesians chapter 2. We should ask the question, how were we brought near? The the text tells us by the blood of Christ. His sacrifice on the cross brings us reconciliation with God the Father and to one another. Remember earlier I said we, we were separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world, and we were separate from one another. But by the blood of Christ, reconciliation is made for you and me, those of us who have placed our full faith In the finished work of Christ. We should probably ask the question then of the text well, well, what should I say, or who should I say abolished the separation? As we think about our, our condition, our, our environment, as we think about the, the separateness and the separation, the division with issues related to ethnicity, issues related to, to, to gender, issues related to, to sexuality, and all the separate divisions, what the world is trying to appeal to is the unique condition that you and I have as members of the body of Christ. But they're looking to bring unity by division. Division. Rather than being willing to repent of sin and place faith in Christ and experience the true unity that we experience as believers in Christ, our separation was not abolished by legislation or by a government entity. It was not abolished by a march in the streets. It was not abolished by a rally or a riot. Our separation was not abolished by a Supreme Court decision or a presidential proclamation. What abolished the wall of division and brought about a once divided people near to God and in right relationship to one another is nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Consider verses 14 through 16, which read this way. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility." There could not be a clearer uniting of people than for two people, two separate groups of people to be united into one new man in the place of two. As we follow the text to verses 17 and 18, we find out the outcome intended by God the Father through Christ. Let's begin by reading verse 17. It reads this way, and he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. John Calvin, in his commentary, said this about this section of Scripture. Quote, all that Christ has done towards effecting a reconciliation would have been of no service if the gospel had not proclaimed it. And therefore, the fruit of this peace has now been offered both to Jews and to Gentiles. Hence it follows that to save Gentiles as well as Jews was the design of our Savior's coming, as was the preaching of the gospel, which is addressed indiscriminately to both, makes abundantly clear and clearly manifest, end quote. What Calvin is, is expressing is what we understand with related to, as it relates to our reconciling first to God and then to one another, But the manner in which that takes place is through the proclamation of the gospel. This entire weekend with the men, as we have the opportunity to gather, time and time again, we talked about the sufficiency of Scripture to address all of the issues of life. Be it examining our own hearts, Unpacking what, what, what evil lies within, repenting of sin, placing our faith in Christ, identifying the, the mirror of God's word and, 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 and allowing the reflection of that mirror to, to, to th- that we, so that we can make adjustments to the manner in which we operate and live. We discussed the fact that, that out there in the, the culture, there's, there's going to be all these warring entities, these warring ideas, warring ideologies Their whole purpose is to deform our thoughts about God. We gather together in an effort to reform our mind about the things of God by looking intently into his word and recognizing that the issues out there are issues that will only be resolved as we proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. there there will always be someone offering a political solution, a social solution, an economic solution to conditions. And those are but temporary band-aids for a real issue of the heart that needs to be transformed. That transformation takes place by the power of the gospel. In our last session together, we talked about the fact that even inside the church, there will be those who desire to come in and bring false ideas and false ideologies and, and will challenge our fellowship. It is imperative as men, as men of God, who stand in, in the order of our of our households, as the as the as the pastors and elders, shepherd the people of God, shepherd the sheep. It's imperative that we look back intently and to the gospel of Christ and not limited to simply what happens when you when you confess your sins one time place your faith in Christ once and are justified but that we gospel ourselves over and over and over and and lord's day after lord's day after lord's day your gathering together is so much more important than you realize when I think about what God has done through the bringing together, the gathering of the local church, my prayer would be that you understand the paramount nature of your gathering. That you understand the beauty of the fellowship that you have with one another. It is from this point that you gather your strength go and fight this is the beauty of the gospel this is the beauty of what God has done let's continue to look at what God has done as we go to verses 19 through 22 this is the result so then You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Do we understand that these are the shoulders upon which we stand as we gather together on the Lord's day in this local church. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you are in Christ, this is... This is true of you. If you are in Christ, if you are gathered together here on the Lord's day, and this is the place that you call home, this is the, the, your place of strength. This is your, 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 your place of refuge. And as you gather together as the body of Christ, you are indeed benefited greatly. This is the, the joy that I have in coming here. I can come from a long way off out in the, the middle of, of Georgia, Douglasville, Many have no idea where that is on a map. But here's the reality and the beauty of of our reconciliation with God the Father, through Christ the Son, and with one another. We don't need anything out there to fix all of what we have. We have it all in Christ Jesus. All of what we need is here in the Word. All of what Christ has prepared for us comes through his body, the church. It's imperative that we think about that, know that, understand that, rely upon that, and order our lives in that way. As I was beginning to say, I come from Douglasville, Georgia, to where we are here in New Jersey. And here's the beauty of what Christ has done in the, reconciling, in the, in the reconciliation of us to God the Father and to one another from this long distance, I come here as your brother in Christ. I come here as, as, as one who's with you. I'm, I'm, I'm more your brother than even your own brother if he's not in Christ. You may have some family here temporarily, and my prayer would be that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, here's the reality. You and I are linked for eternity, so I hope you like me. We'll see one another for quite some time. With that said, my prayer would be that you would understand that none of this, none of this would be possible apart from you accepting the gift of God as he sent his son, Jesus Christ. In the fullness of time, he would send his one and only begotten son born of a virgin, living a very perfect life for 33 years, which you and I could not live for 33 minutes in thought, word, and deed in perfect order of God's truth of his very law. You and I, even on the way here, as we began to maybe get in traffic, uh, had a fleeting thought that we shouldn't have or, a, or an idea that we shouldn't have. And we would have, we would have ruined that and, and, and caused ourselves eternity as a result. But God, the father, in the sending of his son, allowed his son to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. Dying a death that you and I rightly deserve for our sins against a holy God. And then on the third day, he rose again, vanquishing death hell and the grave, so that you and I, if we would but repent of our sins, turn from those sins, place our full faith in Jesus Christ, can experience the pure joy intended by God the Father in eternity past that we just spent time talking about. Entrance into right relationship with God, Communion with the body of believers. Connected with with God and with God's people once again. United in this beautiful fellowship. Standing on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Being built into this wonderful union with God. My hope is today that if you do not know him, that you repent of your sin and place your full faith in him today. Thank you so much for my time with you. It's been a joy. Let me pl- close with a word of prayer. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for who you are, grateful for your truth, grateful for this word, thankful for these, your people. I pray, Lord God, that in the days to come, they will, be, they will continue to be blessed, that they will understand the beauty of what they have here at this church, with these elders and their brothers and sisters in the faith. And if any of them do not have that relationship with you, I pray that you would, by your spirit, draw them unto yourself.
0: May you be honored by the words that are spoken today. In Christ's name, amen.